everyone, it's Adila and Ben and you're listening to episode 11 and unfortunately this will be our last episode for this season. We've really enjoyed this experience and having your support and um, having you guys listen so we really do appreciate it but we are hoping to get a little bit of a break over Christmas to work on a couple of things and also to come up with more great content for you all. Yeah, so don't forget to follow us on social media. You can drop us a comment or send us an email if there's anything in particular you'd like to see in a future episode in Season 2. We are also on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube at So You Think You Can PhD. So please feel free to check out some of our older episodes as well. Make sure you rate and review each episode. We'd really appreciate your feedback and hearing back from you all. So Ben, in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome, which is going to be something that affects quite a fair few people, I'd say, and it's quite important at this point of our lives and in our career to chat about that. We also want to talk about how we communicate our research that we're doing to the public. How do we get them in on the research that we're doing and how do we influence then the way that they think because they might not be doing the same things that we are and exposed to the same kind of research and science that we know is going on behind the scenes. So what can we do about that? So getting straight into it, do you ever, have you ever felt like an imposter? And when have you felt that way? Quite often, actually. Um, You're an imposter right now. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's Friday. It only does, doesn't happen on Fridays. This isn't the real you. Yeah, no, this is not. The, this is like a easing into the weekend version of me. Yeah, but I guess it's more like, have you ever written an article, had it published, and then kind of read it again after and you're like, oh my God, did I really know what I was talking about? Or when you're presenting something. I, I do have that when I'm reading a publication or paper that's gone out. I, I, I read it and I go, wow, really? I know I know that stuff. But it's weird. I don't feel like an imposter that t- at that moment. I just feel like maybe I've forgotten the information. I think that I feel like an imposter when I'm in a meeting or I'm about to go to a meeting and I'm a bit unsure of how it's going to go. And if there's a question that's been asked and I haven't considered it or it's just been um, like a left other field question and it catches me off guard and kind of it happens after the, that question I feel like oh, I should have known that or why can't I remember that it's, is that imposter syndrome or is that like you second guessing yourself which is I guess what imposter syndrome is I guess we yeah. should talk a little bit about what imposter syndrome is um let me just <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should first talk about what imposter syndrome is and a quick Google search has defined it as a collection of feelings of inadequacy um, or that you're not good enough that persists despite evident success. Um, Imposters suffer from chronic self-doubt and a (laughs) sense of intellectual fraudulence that override any feelings of success or external proof of their competence. So that was the first thing that came up on Google. Um, So I guess... That knocks the nail right on the head, I think. So that's exactly how you feel? You sort of doubt yourself? Yeah, have that doubt. And even though we've made it this far, I mean, we're doing PhDs, we've made it through several rounds of exams, we've had our honours years, which was research intensive and 
I guess, a, a warm-up or precursor to a PhD. Yeah, it's weird. I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but at yeah. the same time, I'm like, wow, um, I'm, like, doing kind of okay, I guess. No, you're doing well. When do you feel like you're... When do you feel you have imposter syndrome? Um, any, I any feel like based on the definition, like self-doubt, you feel like you, you're not good enough, even though maybe you are. I feel like I feel like that all the time. Yeah. But I think if I... Um, I feel it most, maybe not so much during my PhD, because I feel like during this PhD, it's all stuff that is very new to me. So I'm still kind of learning and people are still guiding me in the right direction. But when I'm teaching, I feel like an imposter. Oh. So, for example, I'm standing up there in front of a in front of a class, in front of a lab, and I've got all these first years, the arousal all on me and you know like I have to teach that class or I'm the I'm in the anatomy lab and then I'm like hold on is what I'm saying true like <laughs> do I do I know what I'm talking about even though I like I've done the unit before yeah. I obviously have a degree in human biology that was my undergrad um, and obviously before a class I would review all the material as well and yeah there are always going to be questions that student asks that I'm going to be like I'm not sure let me look that up mm. but at the same time like the actual class material itself I'd say I have like a handle on so it's just weird though in a classroom I'm like god you know should I be here no. like am I qualified <laughs> to be here but like I know I am but yeah, that's the biggest imposter syndrome for me. Okay, that's quite interesting because you've been teaching for, for quite some time as well. Would you say that that imposter syndrome, that feeling, has gone easier over, like easier or <laughs> less no. present? No, it's just it's always been there, the same no. amount. Yeah, I think also because there was this one particular point when I started tutoring. This was, I think was way back in 2018. So I had just finished my honors year. I was doing some teaching at Curtin, um, sessional teaching. But at the same time, it was casual, like it was just a casual teaching position. So I had to fill up the rest of my time um, doing other part-time jobs. So I remember I was working at a servo as well. And my worst fear was just a student coming in and going, what is my tutor doing working <laughs> at a servo? I feel like it gave off like a mixed kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, it's like as a, as a teacher, as a, like like a mentor. Like a person who them. works at a university. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what are you doing at... 7-Eleven. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with working at 7-Eleven. It was um, it was an interesting time of my my past, but I think um, that was the biggest. That was probably the peak of imposter syndrome. Like I was just beginning teaching, but I was also still in limbo. I was at this part time job, mm. um, so that was probably the peak of this imposter syndrome. Um, since starting my PhD, I feel a little bit more confident, but I think that imposter syndrome for me, I think it depends on the kind of person that you are as well. Okay, okay. So I don't know if it will ever go away, but it's getting better, I guess. Yeah. Like, it's I, not getting worse. <laughs> that's good. That's the important thing. I've heard from many people, though, in, who are very far into their careers, like associate professors. Even I remember in my first year when I went to a writing course, um, the, the guy that was running it, he ran some other courses as well, but he was saying that imposter syndrome is very real and very common, especially in research and academia. He was saying that he himself even um, experiences very often, but it was it was all about just. I guess it's going to be easier said than done, but having a bit of extra self confidence and reminding yourself that you're in that position because, well, you you you're successful in in everything that led up led you to get there, like in your publications and tests. Um, in your presentations, in uh, attending conferences, 
I mean, it's going to feel good as well when you when you get up there and you you just nail a presentation and question time. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but many people, um, especially our examiners and supervisors, we get a bit worried what they think. But at the end of the day, they always turn it back to us and say, you guys are the experts in your project. You would know more about this than anyone else, even somebody else, um, you know, who's marking your work. Like yeah. you've done the work, you've got gotten there. Um, yeah. And unless they're like in your field doing the exact same thing, then you basically are it, right? That's it. And even then, if they're in the same field, the, the chances are you're going to know more about your project than they will. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Because you've done you've done the work. You've exactly. been there every step of the way. It's like your baby. Like you've looked after it for that amount of time, right? Yeah, you've nurtured it. Now it's grown and evolved into this big thing that you now have to share with everybody. Yeah. But I think one of the hardest things to remember is that, like, you've done the work, but you're always kind of shadowed by, oh, my God, my examiners are, you know, researchers and scientists in this field and, you know, they've done X, Y, Z and I'm just starting out. Like, it always gets overshadowed by the nerves, the stress, the anxiety, the conditions. Like, are you in a viva? Are you in an exam? Are you in some sort of oral defense? Like... Which is hard in that moment to think of, but... I think the one thing that always calms me down is practice. I don't know, like, when you practice a presentation, I think when I'm putting it together, I feel like... Out of the whole presentation process, I feel like the biggest imposter when I'm preparing the presentation. And then when I present it for the first time in front of my supervisor and colleagues, I think that's when I feel the biggest, like, the biggest imposter. But after it's finished... And after we sort of go through, review each slide or review the presentation itself, I think that nerves start to calm. You start to find yourself, you feel that confidence return because once you've received all that feedback, it's, I feel like it's almost a stamp of approval. Like, no, everybody knows this now. It's like, no, it's, it's acceptable. It's believable. It's, yeah, it's real. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's it's just one of those <laughs> tricky things. Like it's just. It is. But I think also. I think it says a lot about you as well because if you maybe didn't have that imposter syndrome, that continuous kind of self doubt, then maybe you don't have something pushing you to improve and to be better at what you do. You know, you don't want to be overconfident and always thinking you're right. You're better than everyone. No, yeah. Like. You want to always be. Yeah, you'll be open to suggestions and comments. Suggestions. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. If you're ignorant or um, have a negative attitude towards that, I think it will hinder your development as a in your career. I'm actually really curious whether, like, our supervisors or other people working in in labs, other students feel this way as well, and even our listeners, people who may be in completely different fields nurses, teachers, um, engineers, uh, mm. other sorts of, you know, like pharmacists, speech pathologists, do they kind of go to work and kind of have this moment sometimes where it's like, oh, God, like, should I be here doing this? Yeah, I don't really feel ready for this. Yeah, and does it start off maybe, like you said, early on in your career and then you kind of, you know, ease in and you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of do know what I'm doing. So we'd love to hear from you. Do let us know on our Instagram or send us an email or post on our YouTube links. We'd love to hear from you. Actually, you know what? It reminds me of a, a saying, I guess it's more associated perhaps with going to the gym, but I think it's applicable here. They say it doesn't get easier. You just get better. Maybe you just get better at hand handling the imposter syndrome. 
It doesn't get easier. You just get better. Yeah. I love that. That's really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I guess you spoke a little bit about how to overcome this, Ben. So practicing more at those presentations, if that's when you feel the most imposter like and yeah. also keeping in mind as well sometimes it's just that negativity in your head that voice in your head that's kind of just talking to you but you're actually you know better than that but can you think yeah. of other ways we could overcome imposter syndrome i think it uh, definitely like with doing your research and just reaffirming confirming what you know and just re-familiarizing re but i think as well um your imposter syndrome may be linked to what you feel vulnerable about. Like for me, with I probably feel imposter syndrome most when I'm presenting because I feel vulnerable. You know, I'm standing. I'm in. Everyone's it, looking at you. Yeah, I'm. I'm presenting, and I think you do as well with the way you're teaching. Yeah. Whereas in with like papers and publication, I feel like I've got that computer screen, the piece of paper. I'm right. hiding behind, and no one can see me. I haven't got that confrontation. Mm. Um, but definitely, I think with the with the present presenting. Uh, practice, practice, practice is basically how I overcome it, I guess. And yeah, a deep definitely. Breath. <laughs> um, and for anyone involved in tutoring or teaching, my my tip would be to fake it till you make it. Act confident, even if you don't feel like it, because students can sniff out your fear, and they yeah. will they will they will get it. <laughs> they will get on top of you. So yeah, just be as confident as you can, and believe like you're there because you know what you're doing. Definitely, someone wouldn't. Uh, put you there without having the confidence in you yeah you definitely and i'm always honest if they ask me a really random left field question and i definitely can't answer it i will be like let me google this i'll get back to you next week yeah. um well most of the time my answer would be you don't need to know that for this unit so don't worry about it <laughs> and then when i get home or if i have like my phone later i'm like quickly googling the answer so i can tell them about it next week <laughs> yeah i mean it's a continuous learning thing so I, I admit i don't know everything and that's what i'm here for i'm here to learn and improve and i think one of the biggest things for us is maybe at the end of our phds in the next couple of years you know when we hopefully get that piece of paper attend our graduation you know have that doctor title and be like okay we do know something we know something about something <laughs> and then the rest of the learning goes from there yeah yeah it's, it's quite the journey that we're on yeah definitely Right, Ben. So on, on the note of imposter syndrome, so obviously we do a lot of research and it's not just us, there are other researchers out there. And this is probably more important now than ever with all this COVID-19 vaccine research going on. And, you know, it can get a little bit scary when people talk about things that they have no knowledge of and people kind of jump on that bandwagon. Yeah. So as researchers and scientists, I think it's so important for us to be spreading good science and good information. But one of the problems that can actually that can occur is we don't communicate that research effectively with normal people or people outside of our field because sometimes they simply can't understand the jargon mm. or they can't read or understand scientific papers. I mean, I have to admit, I struggle with reading papers as well. I don't know about you, but some of them, I'm like, I have no idea what they're trying to say and I've had to read it like five times. Yeah. Um, so how can we you know, communicate our research to the public? What can we do as students now? Uh, as students now? 
Not much. No. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, surely this podcast is also a way of communicating our lives and our journeys and a little bit of our research through to people. Definitely. I think th- this podcast is a good idea. I think um, even like, I think a lot of the sharing with the public is done through our institute. But through the institute, I know that some people's projects get shared through the newsletter and through their Facebook page. I think that's... Our supervisor's on TV a lot too. Yeah, that's true. Okay, maybe not a lot, but he is on TV. (laughs) And and on the radio, I think he was, maybe. Oh, wow. So those are all mediums of communicating with lay lay people, I guess. Yeah, and I think that the advantage of that is that they have the access to the the wider audience, whereas we only have you guys that are listening and people who you tell about this. I mean, it's there's a stepping stone there, I guess, uh, for us as students to the, the public. But also, if you can think of... I think papers and publications as well. Like, as scientists, our main output of research is papers and publication. And I don't know if anyone's asked their friends who are not in a science field, when's the last time you read a publication? Mm. I bet you that they haven't, or if they've only read one and probably not understood it at all. One of my friends actually in honors or <coughs> undergrad, he suggested, or I don't know if he suggested to a lecturer or if it was just to us as a group of friends. He mentioned that we should, instead of a publication system like it is, instead of having to refine and perfect this language um, that we seem to share our results with each other, we should just be able to share raw results, raw figures, this is what we did, this is what uh, this is what happened, and obviously just write the methods out. You don't have to worry too much about um, the, the language that it's written. Obviously, keep the grammar correct because, you know, grammar can completely change the interpretation of a sentence but like it's just a good way to to share i think that'd be a really amazing way to share research but and also on that note adding extra work to um researchers and scientists but what if we okay yeah publish journal articles whatever but at the same time write the exact same copy of whatever you're working on in like super simple Mm. terms with your results that are summarized easy to understand and then maybe have like a somewhere else or a, a layman's journal to publish that in for people who are interested or something yeah or even like a like a blog i don't know a piece in like the sunday times is like a little booklet i don't know yeah. people can have the option to read it you know they Ooh, might like be... a magazine yeah like a science magazine but for exactly. like for people for that people, are in, yeah to understand a lot easier yeah wow so many ideas maybe we should start something up on that Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um so essentially there are other ways as well from our point of view as researchers and scientists there are a few other ways to do this instead of just um podcasting, TV, radio, um, institute newsletters and other types of um, written sort of like we mentioned papers and things. But we can also present at conferences, which Mm. are usually to other scientists, but then there usually might be other media people there as well. Or you can have a section of your abstract posted somewhere else. And an abstract is usually a lot shorter, succinct and more summarized and not as technical usually. Um, we can also present posters. Have you ever presented a poster at a conference or something? Yeah, I presented two or three posters. It's been okay. Uh, I find that it's a good way to share information because you're not constrained by time limits like you would be in an in a um, in a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, people can come up to you and ask questions, and you have. A, a lot more time to explain what's really going on, what did you find, and the significance of it. Yeah. It's a good way to and share. most of the time when people come to look at your poster and then they ask you a question, when you answer it, you're going to be speaking like you're in a conversation. You're not going to be, you know, sprouting off all this jargon, right? So exactly. that's a good way of communicating with people. 
Um, and we mentioned shows like our podcast and other talk shows and radio shows where we try and highlight the work of other students as well and other mm. researchers. But another like buzzing field at the moment is science communication. Mm. Have you heard much about this science com before? Not really. I've seen the magazines around, um, a few online as well. But So I think essentially science communication bridges this gap between how to communicate good research and good science to the layman. So there's lots of things now in Science.com and lots of different ways and as we mentioned, different media outlets to present this information to, which is so exciting. Yeah, definitely. Especially see something in your area. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of the ways we do that now is, I don't know about you, but I listen to other podcasts as well, which are like super simple science-y ones or anatomy ones. And, you know, that's all forms of Science.com. Yeah, I really actually like listening to some of the TED Talks because they break it down so well. TED and Talks have, are a good one. Yeah, especially when you if you're watching the video as well, um, they have like maybe a few slides prepped and they really do break it down to digestible words and terms. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know whether we've missed anything. So if our listeners can think of other ways that we can also communicate science to the public, please do let us know. Unless you have anything else to add, Ben? Uh, I was going to say, I think this sharing to the public often falls heavily onto institutes. And I, I think that maybe um, it's been underutilized, underperformed uh, until maybe perhaps recently uh, with Perkins and Telephone and um, maybe some other research institutes over east. But um, I know that they've had uh, fundraisers as well that generally attracts a great amount of attention, uh, though to only very specific uh, research areas, but it is nonetheless... It yeah, does, it's a good start. It is definitely a good start. And I think we're on the right track for the, for the foreseeable yeah, future. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully in the future, a lot of people can see the value in what we do and we can hopefully get a bit more um, funding in terms yes. of, you know, there are so many researchers that we speak to who have such great ideas, but unfortunately, you know, they don't get any funding or any grants. So it can be very um, off-putting for them as you know like this is their career they can't do research if they don't get funding and if they don't have money and people who sponsor that work um but the other reason why we wanted to talk about this is we wanted to highlight to everyone um and our listeners as well that you know don't just believe anything you see on instagram or social media like go out there and do your own research especially in this day and age where we're surrounded by information 24 7 Mm -hmm. and people who it's great are speaking up but we want to make sure that we're speaking up about things that we have knowledge of and we're not just spreading um, lies lies (laughs) and um you know, like fake yeah. science and fads and things like that. So, yeah, mm. I think the highlight of this section of the of the episode is just to go out there, be informed, do your own research and make sure it's credible research as well. Look up research papers and things like that. Yeah, things that, or even things that come out of like university websites, like they can be, um, they can, they usually report or have an article on the most important research. I mean, that's probably a good starting point anyway to get you into that, that sort of area and understanding the lingo. For sure. All right, I think we should wrap up, Ben. This was a very short um, season final, but we'd like to um, thank our viewers again for all their support this past year. We know it hasn't been an easy year for anyone, but yeah, we'd like to thank everyone for their support, for tuning in and for contributing and being part of the show. And we hope to see you next year. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, everyone. Happy holidays. Stay safe. See you next year. Bye. If you'd like to get involved, drop us your questions and your queries. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the show. And you can find us on our Instagram at So You Think You Can PhD. And there's a link to our email there as well. Thank you so much. See you next week. Bye.